what a joy to uh, come together. Uh, what a joy that it is Chinese New Year, that we have extended time with our families. And Lord, uh, life can be very lonely. It's so good to have families and friends to be with, uh, to run this journey together, because we know we can't run uh, this journey on our own. So thank you for families. Thank you for friends. Thank you for church members. Thank you for communities. Uh, thank you for everything. May you help us to, to treasure every moment that we have with friends and families. Life is so fragile. Life is so vulnerable. Life is precious. Help us to enjoy today. Enjoy pr our present and because it's a gift from you to us. Thank you. May you be with us as we study your word together. Speak to us, Lord. Warm our hearts. Stir our hearts. Stimulate our mind that we can love Jesus more and more. Thank you, Lord. We bless you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I have a slide, please, uh, Oscar? Uh, we are, I'm doing a series from the book of Nehemiah called A Season to Build. A season to build, not just only because the church is going through this transition time of uh, reconstructing this church, this place, but as a whole, our lives need to reconstruct as well and rebuild at times. And uh, this is the second sermon on this series, maybe about 15 or 16 sermons right throughout this year. I hope that this sermon will bring us encouragement as we go through this season uh, to build. There was a story, there's a silly story about uh, three men apply for a job to go to the moon and, uh, and the interviewer was asking the first man after going through all the questions say uh, uh, how much do you need to go to the moon he said well I need one million dollars you must pay me one million dollars to go to the moon uh, alright I'll, I'll tell you later then the second person came in and, and after all those questions again and the interviewer asked how much do you need to go to the moon he said I need two million dollars he said why do you need two million dollars the first person only asked for one Say, well, I have eight children, so I have more mouth to feed, and I'm going away for a few months. Two million dollars is very reasonable. Say, all right, I'll think about it. And then the third person came in, and, and the interviewer asked, how much do you need to go to the moon? He said, I need three million dollars. He said, why the person asked for only one million, you asked, and second person asked two million, and you asked for three million dollars? This person probably may be a Chinese, I don't know. He said, well, very simple. One million you keep, and the other million I keep. In the third million, we asked the first man to go, to go to the moon. <laughs> I said this in my first service as well. I said, well, I'm a Chinese, so I, you can't be charged as racist if you poke fun at your own race, can you? Uh, how do you get things done? We all have jobs that we need to do. We have tasks that we need to do. But as believers, as Christians, do you function very differently from someone who doesn't have God in your life? There are many Christians who are actually practical atheists. Well, they claim to believe in God, but God is actually not present in their lives in everything they do. You just only use your mind, you use your intellect, use your own skill to plan everything that you want to do. But God is always absent. And yet on your lips you proclaim, I believe in this God, I serve this God. And I want to show you today how Nehemiah went about Achieving the task that was entrusted to him. And I see that as a very Christian way in the sense of, of dealing with this amazing task that he has. Enormous, in fact, it's enormous for him even to do it. And he has five tools that he used 
to accomplish this task that uh, God has entrusted to him. But before I go to the five tools that I want to give to you, I want to read to you this passage first. There are 10 verses in chapter 2 that I'll study, and then the next lesson, I'll finish the second part of chapter 2. The first part of chapter 2 is about five tools that Nehemiah has pertaining to his attitude as he approaches this task. And then the next lesson is what are the specific five, a few tasks that he needs to do. So let me read the text to you first, and then I'm going to give you five uh, tools that Nehemiah draw from his toolbox box to accomplish the task that God has entrusted to him. And we all have tasks to do. Uh, I hope you'll bring some encouragement to you. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, remember Nehemiah was a cupbearer and he served uh, King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and I gave it to the king. I had not been sat in his presence before, throughout my life, right? He said. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? And then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it and then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me how long will your journey take and when will you get back it pleased the king to send me. So I set a time. I also said to him, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct while I arrive in Judah. Some sort of protection. And may I have a letter to Esau, who is the keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. He even asked the king to pay for his, the material for his house. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and I gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. When Sanbalat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite officer, heard about this, you, you will hear about him in a future lesson because they are great opposition. And whenever God gives you a task to do, they are bound to have great opposition. So they are the ones. When Sanbalat and the Horonite and Tobiah, the Ammonite officer, heard about this, what did they do? They were very much disturbed. 
that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. By the way, if you don't know the name Nehemiah, it means God comforts. God comforts. I do not know of anybody in my life by the name of Nehemiah. Do you have friends named Nehemiah? Do you ever think of giving your son Nehemiah? I've never, I never have a friend named Nehemiah. Do you have? Anybody has a friend called Nehemiah? Yes? Moses, you have? It's a very nice name, but it's not a very popular name in some sense. I don't know why. Uh, uh, it means God comforts. God comforts. Um, he was a cupbearer. We talked about that in the first session, that he heard about, the, this is the third return. When the Jews returned back to rebuild the war, this is the third time Nehemiah led a group of people to return. The first one was led by Zerubbabel. And then the second lot of people went back with Ezra. And this is the third group of people Nehemiah wanted to go back to rebuild the temple wall. The other two groups restored the temple worship and the temple. But Nehemiah is interested in the building to protect them from the danger. And so Nehemiah... Uh, Web about that, cried over it. We talked about that in our two weeks ago. And now he put into action what he's going to do. So let me show you uh, five tools. Nehemiah has five tools in handling the task that God has entrusted him to do. Five of them. And I want to plow through five of them for you. You'll see amazing. And I hope they can help you in your own life, in your own way that God has entrusted a task to you, even though you may have already used this, but it's not just systematically come out in this form. I hope it will help you as you journey through life, as God entrusts you certain things to do, you can remember these five tools. The very first tool, which is very unusual when you talk about achieving things and getting things done, is extremely unusual. The first tool is waiting. When you think about doing a task, you don't think about waiting. You immediately think about a plan, rolling up your sleeve and doing the work. But Nehemiah didn't do that. From chapter 1 to chapter 2, there is a lapse of four to five months. When Nehemiah heard the news, he wept, he cried, he waited and he did not even appear to be set in front of the king. Four months had lapsed before he decided to take some action. Look at verse 1. In the month of Nisan, Nisan is about April, March to April, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and I gave it to the king. I had not been set in his presence before. This is the first time I'm going to show my face. I'm going to show to my king that I'm sad. But before he did that, he has already lapsed for four to five months. He has already weighed upon the Lord and in his mind is brewing, he's thinking, he's praying. In the five, four to five months, many things has happened. And so when the Lord gave us a task to do, the first step we always have to do is to wait upon the Lord. Waiting time is not wasted time. Quiet reflection may provide Nehemiah with fresh insight about how to approach the king. We don't wait very well, do we? We don't like waiting, actually. We are into micro-waving. 
But God, on the other hand, is usually into marinating. We are in a quick, fast food kind of. I mean, how many of you like burger in in McDonald's? You know, uh, as compared to elsewhere, you know, uh, we don't wait very well. We often think that waiting is a waste of time. I always jokingly tell people that I spend one third of my life sleeping, and one third of my life waiting because I always wait for my wife when she does shopping. Men, most men will identify with that. Uh, we always need to wait. Sitting outside, sitting at the sofa, waiting for wait, wait. So I spend. I I begin to enjoy nowadays. You know, nowadays with phone and all that, you can take time to do certain things as well. Uh, in the past, I always hurried my wife. And once my wife asked me, "What's the hurry? There's nothing in front of us anyway. We got no appointment." You know? uh, but I still do once in a while. We don't wait very well. Waiting is not a popular activity, popular attitude. Waiting is not, waiting is not something that people think about with great sympathy. In fact, most people consider waiting a waste of time. Uh, perhaps this is because the culture in which we live in is basically saying, get going, do something, show you are able to make a difference. Don't just sit there and wait. So for many people, waiting is an awful desert between where they are and where they want to go. And people do not like such a place. They want to get out of it by doing something. But did you also recognize that actually fearful people are often afraid to wait? People who are fearful, they are always very afraid to wait. They cannot lose control. Because control is part and parcel of what lives is about. You know? We need to be in control of our lives. And waiting is almost like you can't get anything done. You're just sitting there waiting. And so while waiting for the council to approve of our permit, we have to wait, we have to wait and wait and wait. Nothing can be done. But biblical kind of waiting is not passive. There is such a thing called active waiting. To wait open-handedly is an enormously radical attitude towards life. So is to trust that something will happen to us that is far beyond our imagining. So too is giving up control over our future and letting God define our life, trusting that God molds us according to God's love and not according to our fear. The spiritual life is a life in which we wait, actively present to the moment, trusting that new things will happen to us, new things that are far beyond our own imagination, fantasy or prediction. And that indeed is a very radical stance towards life in a world preoccupied with control. So waiting is a, is a necessary thing. If God has entrusted something for us to do, we must learn to wait upon the Lord. Particularly the, the task is humongously huge and big. Impulsive decision often leads to disaster. I always advise people when emotionally you're unstable, never make decision. Emotionally you're unstable, men, men, not make decision. Waiting is an attitude. So the first thing that Nehemiah did was he waited on the Lord. He brew on it for four to five months. Brewing on it. Thinking, praying in his mind. Wait, wait, wait. Wait. He had not been set in his presence before until such time that he's confident. He said, now is the moment that I need to step, step out. Isaiah 40 is a beautiful verse that we are always uh, familiar with. As a young boy, I always remember this verse and memorize it. That said, do you not know, have you not heard? 
The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. Do you not know? He will not grow tired or weary. There's an English word I learned from Matt Painter. He's an indefatigable God. Never grow tired, never grow weary. Indefatigable God. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. So don't have to understand God. He never asks you to understand. He only asks you to trust Him. He gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope or those who wait in the Lord, what will happen? Will renew their strength. And here Nehemiah learned to wait upon the Lord, wait upon the Lord, wait upon the Lord, wait upon the Lord. Isn't that the song that we often sing? Strength will arrive when we wait upon the Lord, when we wait upon the Lord, when we wait upon the Lord. Strength will arrive when you wait upon the Lord. Because here you say, the Lord will renew their strength. Because you're beginning to tap on not your own resources. You'll not grow tired. Their strength will. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. I love this Celtic daily prayer that called, Help me now to unclutter my life. I say, Lord, help me now to unclutter my life, to organize myself in the direction of simplicity. Lord, teach me to listen to my heart. Teach me to welcome change instead of fearing it. Lord, I give you these stirrings inside me. I give you my discontent. I give you my restlessness. I give you my doubt. I give you my despair. I give you all the longings I hold inside. Help me to listen to these signs of change, of growth, to listen seriously and follow where they lead through the breathtaking, empty space of an open door. Wait upon the Lord. Pascal, the French uh, writer, said, the sole cause of man's unhappiness is that he does not know how to stay quietly in his room. We need to do something, you know, turn on the music, or do everything, you know, have to have something to occupy us. And as a result, we don't listen to our hearts. Or A.W. Tozer says, man has accepted the monstrous heresy that noise, size, activity, and bluster make a man dear to God. That we need to do something, then is we are closer to God. But no, Nehemiah learned to wait. You're going to see his waiting produces tremendous amount of result in his life. He begins by waiting. Wait upon the Lord. Then he moved on to the second thing that Nehemiah, second tool that he had in approaching the task that God has entrusted to him is trusting. Waiting always produces the tremendous amount of energy and trust build up in you. Look at what he's, he said in verse 2 and 3. When he saw his sadness of face to the king, the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. Please pay attention to the last line. Last line. Nehemiah said, I was very much afraid. How can you not be afraid? How can you? He deliberately do it and yet at the same time he's afraid because you know he doesn't know what the king would do to him. How dare you you show your face in front of the king? 
Moreover, you are also an exile, you know. Your head will, be, will, will roll down Marcus Road. You know? So that, that might be the first reason why uh, very much afraid, other translations say, a terrible fear came over me. He was very much afraid, of course, as I said, the first reason is he, he, he has to be content, perfectly content to be in the presence of the king. Subjects who were sad or melancholic around the king were usually executed for reigning on the parade. And so he, he kind of scared. He's afraid. But yet at the same time, there's a second reason why he was very much afraid. You know why? Because he has, been, he has this task of reversing this edict, this decree that was laid down by the king's predecessor. Because you must understand, this is the third time that the people are returning to rebuild the wall. And it has already happened before that in building the temple and all that. And there's a group of people over there already objected to it and wrote letters, sent letters to the king and tell the king about this group of people returning bad news about them, about their past, about Jerusalem, their history and all that. And so the king then responded to this group of people by issuing an edict saying, stop them from building. And so here Nehemiah, the third time he's returning, he has to literally ask the king to reverse the decree and the edict that he had, the predecessor had issued. How can he not be afraid? Let me read to you from Ezra chapter 4. Then you can have a greater picture why Nehemiah was so afraid. But let me just finish reading this part first. Uh, but I say to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when, my, when the city where my ancestors were buried lies in ruins and his gates have been destroyed by fire? Look at Ezra chapter 4. This is the king, previous king, responded to the other group of people that wrote to him in objecting them from rebuilding. This is what the king said to this group of people who was complaining. The letter you sent us has been read and translated in my presence. I issued an order and a search was made and it was found that this city has a long history of revolt against kings and has been a place of rebellion and sedition. Jerusalem has had powerful kings ruling over the whole of trans-Euphrates and taxes, tribute and duty were paid to them. Now issue an order to this man to stop work so that this city will not be rebuilt until I saw order. Be careful not to neglect this matter. Why let this threat grow to the detriment of the royal interests? As soon as the copy of the letter of King Artaxerxes was read to Reham and Shimshai, the secretary of their associates, they went immediately to the Jews in Jerusalem and compelled them by force to stop rebuilding. And so for Nehemiah, he literally has to ask this particular king to reverse the edict of the previous king that has issued them to stop them from rebuilding. You know how difficult that is? You know how can he not be afraid? He was afraid. But as I said, because of him waiting upon the Lord for the four to five months seeking the Lord, he has this confidence that the Lord is going to see him through. And he dare to appear set before the king. He took some risk. Let me just reverse this. I know it's a bit far to go back. I should have just reversed it. And after the king asked him, what does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness. He said, I was very much afraid. 
But I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad? Can you imagine him saying that to the king? Why should my face not look sad? Probably not that tone. Uh, when the city, you know how smart he is? How smart he is in not even mentioning the, the, the name of Jerusalem because of the previous edict, because he done the research about Jerusalem and ancestors and all. You know how smart he was? in crafting the right words to say to the king. They say, when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by how can I not be sad when my ancestors? He just put in, in a personalized it. Uh, instead of going political, he chose the personal route that usually the better choice, isn't it? When what Nehemiah did say was, I want to honor the burial place of my fathers. And probably this makes a lot of sense to the Persian king because the Persian honored their dead as well. He was quite smart and quite wise in choosing the right kind of words to use to his advantage, isn't it? And that comes from months of thinking, brewing, trusting the Lord, and, and waiting for the right time and the right words to say, anticipating when the king responds, this is what I will do. And sometimes life is about taking some risk as well, isn't it? They say that to laugh is to risk appearing as a fool. To weep is to risk appearing sentimental. To reach out for another is to risk involvement. To place our ideas, our dreams before a crowd is to risk their loss. To love is to risk not being loved in return. To live is to risk dying. And to hope is to risk despair. And to try is to risk failure. But we have to do that. We have to. In life, we just have to take a step and trust the Lord and go for it. Brendan Manning, a Catholic priest, wrote a book called The Ragamuffin Gospel. Uh, he has since died. Uh, he had a wonderful way of with words and this is what he says he said when our inner child which is in you uh, when our inner child is not nurtured and nourished our minds gradually close to new ideas unprofitable commitments and the surprises of the spirit evangelical faith is bartered for cozy comfortable piety a failure of nerve and an unwillingness to risk distorts God into a bookkeeper and the gospel of grace is swapped for the security of religious bondage. It's a mouthful there to unpack. But it's just saying that lie, we need to take some risk. And Nehemiah, after waiting upon the Lord, trusting the Lord, he has a task that he needs to do by returning to rebuild the wall. He trusts the Lord. He believes God will help him through it and he stepped out in faith by showing to the king his face. And when the king responded, he replied now. And the third one, let me just push forward again, third tools that he has in his box is not just only waiting, not just trusting, but praying, but praying. Look at what he did when the king asked him. When the king asked him this question, what is it you want? The king said to me, what is it you want? He didn't say, why, why are you so sad? You get out of my presence or something like that. Or in our Chinese, say, lie right now. Catch him out and chop his head off. How dare you? He can easily be replaced. Anyway, 
you're not indispensable. There are plenty of cupbearers around. The king said to me, what is it you want? And what did he do? He said, I prayed to the God of heaven. This is like a kind of like an emergency, kind of last minute. Oh Lord, finally this opportunity has been presented to me. I have it now. Lord, I've been waiting for this. This is a very active waiting, you know, not a passive waiting. I've been waiting for five months. I've been waiting for four months. This is the moment. I've been waiting for the king to tell me, asking me this question, what is it you want? This is my opportunity to tell the king exactly what I want. But before I do that, I quickly pray to the God of heaven. They say that quick prayers are possible and valid if one has prayed sufficiently beforehand. And this is an evidence to me that Nehemiah's life is, is weaven in dependence on God. It's weave, it, it, his life is just always God is in the picture. He's not a practical atheist. He's not a practical atheist. God is in his life. Every decision, everything he do, God is in the picture. He's in the picture. He's asking God to involve in any task that he's doing, any business dealing, any person he's going to talk to, whatever he do. Every day you go to work, see customer or whatever, God is in the picture. He said, I prayed to the God of heaven. He's just telling me that God is always involved in his lives. It doesn't have to be long or even audible. We just need to make good use of this chance moment to send up popcorn prayers to God, maybe. You know. just, Lord, help me. This is the moment that I've given to me now. Let me use it. And that's to characterize our Christian life as a believer. There has always an attitude of dependence on the Lord. Now, to me, that is the secret of Christian life. If you ask me what's the secret of Christian life, the secret of Christian life is depending on the Lord. Nothing more. You can never run this race on your own. Human nature, we are too weak. We just need to depend on the Lord on a daily basis. Not even once and for all. A lot of people think that your decision may be once and for all. It's a daily kind of dependence on the Lord uh, for help, for strength. Uh, it's a daily kind of need that we need to ask God to help. I often tell people there's a brand called No Fear, right? Do you know uh, there's a difference between no fear and fear not? You know what's the difference? No fear is actually very humanistic. No fear. Whatever I do, no fear. It's, it's you. you know? Whereas fear not is actually you're very fearful, you're very scared. But you depend on the Lord and you have this God come and says, don't worry, I'm here with you. Fear not, I'm here. So it's a, it's, a, it's a strength of depending on the Lord rather than your own strength. And throughout scripture, it's always fear not. It's not no fear. It's fear not. I'm fearful, but Lord, hold my hands. Help me to walk through this, Lord. I fear not because the Lord is with me. Isn't that what Psalms 23 says? the good shepherd I fear no evil for thou art with me for you are with me there's this constant dependent on the Lord in our walk so that is his third two waiting praying praying and here it comes back to where we should balance it up maybe I should just 
sorry, can you can you just help me a bit? I don't know why it's just not moving. Uh, Oscar, can you help me forward? It's got technology strange. Huh? The fourth one, he said, then I prayed to the king. Let me reverse it. Yep. The fourth one is planning. While we pray, we also need to plan so that we won't swing from one to or the other extreme. We always pray, oh, God, sovereignty of God, God can do everything, you know, and we don't have to do anything. Or this side, as if like most of the many churches think that everything depends on them. Everything depends on their vision, you know. I'm sick of this word, you know, sometimes. Everything depends on their vision, you know. Uh, as if that is, everything is about their work. Everything is them. Without them, everything will collapse. So we've got to have a middle ground of praying as well as planning. We are called to pray and plan. We are called to worship as well as to work. We are called to make requests as well to fill out requisitions. He practiced both dependent prayer and deliberate planning. And so here, look at what, when the king asked Nehemiah, what do you want me to do for you? And he has been capturing on this opportunity because during the time of waiting, he has already planned what he's going to do. Look at what he asked the king. He said, well, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah. Let me go. Can you really release me? Where my ancestors are buried. Can you see the choice of his words? Where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. And then the king with the queen sitting beside him. I'm very puzzled by, by the queen sitting beside him. Uh, I think Nehemiah also chose the right time when the queen was present. Maybe the queen was a, bit, a little bit more sympathetic. You know how men sometimes listen to wives? wife you actually have quite a lot of power believe me uh, you do have I know some people deny that many wives will come and tell me say they don't they don't but you do you do you do right uh, you do have power uh, they say the man is the head but women is the neck uh, <laughs> they control the head uh, so he, he probably thought the queen is is a bit sympathetic. If I can win the queen over, probably may get the job done as well. Uh, and, and that's why the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take? And when will you get back? And it pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. And not only that, he went on for another two requests. He said, if it pleases the king, you know what? This is what you can really do for me. Do you think you can give me a letter to the governors of the trans Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah? You know, like some of security, protection, that they won't harm me if you're sent by me. You know, I have this letter. Hey, I'm from the King Artaxerxes to go here to do work. You know, don't touch me. You know. Can you please provide me this letter? And, 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 and by the way, w w one more thing. And may I have a letter to Esap, who is the keeper of the royal park? So he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. Can you imagine that? I want to rebuild the wall. Can you provide me with the materials? Can you basically fund my whole campaign? Plus the house that I'm going to live in? You see, Nehemiah has been planning while he was waiting. It was not exactly a passive type of waiting. 
it was a very active time of waiting waiting upon the Lord at the same time I know it will come to pass but I have to plan first I have to think about it first what am I going to do and so to, to, to keep it short actually he, he asked for three things and he received three things he asked for permission he asked for protection and he asked for provision three things he asked God permission to go protection and provision and he planned he think about that he think about that he planned and he waited he waited waited oh the queen present now maybe this is the opportunity this is the time that I can show my sadness I can win this thing the king will ask me because I've always been happy but today I'm going to do something to make him ask me that question and then when he asks me what I want this is what I'm going to tell him you see all his planning that has been happening in his mind and finally uh, probably to me is the most important of all is testifying undergirding his waiting his trusting his praying and his planning is this thing called he testify you know what he testify he, what did he say because the gracious hand of my God was on me the king granted my request it is not me it is not my planning it is not my sensing of the timing to speak it is not me thinking that oh how should I break it to the news oh I appear sad before him waiting for the queen to be there uh, this 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 crafting of the words not using Jerusalem that will conjure up many political things you know all these things is not it is not my intelligence it's not my shrewdness it's not my cleverness no because of the gracious hand of my God God is the one you give proper credit and proper glory many times Christians we like to think that we are the one we don't give God the glory we think we raise up the best kids You know, you can have the best method to raise your kids. You can employ the most biblical method and your kids will turn out bad. You can have the worst method and your kids may turn out to be very godly. There is no guarantee. No guarantee. Because God is based on timing sometimes. But you have to do your best. You have to do your best. That's all you can do. That's all you can do. See, because of the gracious hand of my God was with me, the king granted my request. What a man, what a man who knows how to give God the proper glory, proper honor, rather than rob God of the glory. It's me, my cleverness, my smartness, my money, my this, 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 this. It's me. Have you heard of the humorous story about this little boy who was being read to by his father? Uh, in the book were pictures, and the father would often stop and point out the pictures and then ask his son, Look! Uh, who made these things? And the first one, look, who made these trees? And then Luke will say, well, Luke did. He said, no. The, dad, the daddy will say with a laugh, no, God did that. Look, who made these mountains? Luke did. The father will say, no, God did. 
Look, who made these flowers? Luke did. The daddy said, no, God did. And the next morning, Luke had spilled his milk at the breakfast table. You know the story. His daddy walked in and immediately asked, who made this mess? God did. Isn't it like us? Take all the credit of the good things and blame God for the bad? Oh, the good one, we, we take our own credit. All the bad one. Oh, God, why? 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 What? Why? But here, the Lord, gracious hand of my God was with me. And same for the good news that we receive of the council approving us of the permit. The gracious hand of our God was with us. No objections. Not even one. And never even ask us to change anything. Can you believe that? Even if you want to build your house, anybody build a house, you know your neighbors will object and all that, let alone a church. But because of the gracious hand of our God, we need to give Him the glory. You know, I, I always believe, let me close with you, I always believe that as our individual life, as a Christian journey, we have to experience God along the way. But as a church, we can experience God together as a church. And one of the things that we can experience God together is when the church together do something that is very concrete together. And in this instant that we have, is to rebuild some of this renovation and all that. We can see how God can provide for us. We're still short of $400,000. But you're going to see that God will provide. You believe that? I believe that. Because God is no man's debtor. He will provide. And we're going to see, we're going to experience God together as a church, as a community here. And then hopefully it will kind of help in your Christian faith, Christian journey to see how God provides. Every Christian in one of their life in their lifetime need to involve in one building project. In and enjoy the meal together. Father, what a joy to, uh, to hear your word. Thank you, Lord. You're a good God. May we learn to uh, experience more of you in our lives. Thank you that, Lord, you've given us many tasks to do uh, individually on our daily basis. Uh, corporately, as a church, you have entrusted us tasks that we need to do. May we learn from Nehemiah. May we never be a practical atheist. That on our lips we proclaim we believe in God, but He's never involved in our lives. Thank you that you love us. Thank you, you're always with us. Help us to learn to wait upon you. 
Help us never to fear. Fearful people don't wait. They are controlled by fear. But faithful people, those who have faith, always know how to wait. Thank you. Help us to be patient. Help us to be steady, and actively wait upon you, and that we will trust in you, and we will pray, we will plan with everything, with all the intelligence, the gift that you've given to us. We use it and employ it. And then, at the end of it all, we can stand and testify. It is because of the gracious hand of our God. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for loving us. No matter how far we are strayed from you, you will always bring us back. Thank you for embracing us. Thank you for loving us. We know we will keep sinning. We turn our back. But you always love us. Thank you. May we be reminded that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, never ceases. They are new every morning, every day when I get up. God's love is new. Yesterday is gone. Yesterday is history. We thank you for loving us, Lord. We bless you as we sing this beautiful chorus again. May we be reminded the steadfast love of the Lord. Never ceases. His mercy never come to an end. They are new every morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Amen. Would you stand? Thy faithfulness, O oh Lord.
Thank you, Lord. You are faithful, God. When we are faithless, you are faithful. When we are unfaithful, you are faithful. Thank you, Lord. Help us to know, not just know that, uh, but believe it. Thank you that your mercy are new. Thank you, Lord. May we leave this place and be assured beyond any doubt that you love us. And only when we know that we are truly loved, uh, we then have the power and the ability to love. Thank you, Lord. May the amazing grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, His unconditional and unfailing love of God, and the empowering presence and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen.